0: Hi everyone, welcome to Weird Era, a literary podcast where we ask the right questions. Today we're talking to Dis Tate, author of Brutes. Liz Tate grew up in Florida and lives in London, UK. She has had short stories published in The Stinging Fly, Dazed, No Tokens Journal, Five Dials, 3AM Magazine, among other publications. She was long listed for the Sunday Times Audible Short Story Award in 2020 and won the Bristol Short Story Prize in 2019. Roots is her first novel. In Falls Landing, Florida, a place built of theme parks, swampy lakes, and scorched bougainvillea flowers, something sinister lurks in the deep. A gang of 13-year-old girls obsessively orbit around the local preacher's daughter, Sammy. She is mesmerizing, older, and in love with Eddie, but suddenly Sammy goes missing. Where is she? Watching from a distance, they edge ever closer to discovering a dark secret about their fame-hungry town and the cruel cost of a ticket out. What they see will continue to haunt them for the rest of their lives. Through a darkly beautiful and brutally compelling lens, Diz Tate captures the violence, horrors, and manic joys of girlhood. Brutes is a novel about the seemingly unbreakable bonds in the quote-unquote we of young friendship and the moment it is broken forever. Hi Diz, thank you so much for being here.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: Your narrative structure in Brutes speaks very much in the again, quote unquote we more so the than the quote unquote I. Why is that?
1: Yeah, that was kind of um, it took me a really long process to get to that point. Like the way I write, it tends to be very slow. <laughs> like I tend to have to write like a huge amount and then I condense it down at the very end. But I think I wrote about eight drafts that were in all different perspectives. So I started out in the first person, then I wrote a really weird like one in third person that was very distant and like Jane Austen vibe and didn't really work at all. And then I went back to first person again. Um, But I think I read this story in the New Yorker called um, Our Lady of the Quarry by Mariana Enrique. And that was all told in this wee voice and it was about a group of uh, teenage girls who were kind of obsessed with a, an older boy. And like just reading it instantly, there was this kind of rhythmical sense of menace and they had so much strength to them. And they were also incredibly funny and really cohesive and like the humor and the kind of the language that you have as a group of girls at that age that you're kind of building in present tense it just as soon as i hit that voice it felt so much more accelerative and also i guess kind of what you say with the i voice like when i started trying to write it in this i voice it was very reflective and it was kind of an older narrator looking back on this time and it just didn't completely reflect the actual experience of being 13 which I remembered as being incredibly free and kind of untainted by perspective or memory or nostalgia and there was like a brilliance to that and like a real aliveness to that that I was fascinated by and I just really wanted to get that in somehow so it just took a bunch of experimentation but when I found the chorus voice I was like oh great here's the kind of it's it's kind of all those things it's joy and it's horror and it's just a way of putting those in straight away through the form um so yeah I was really happy when I found that and I only actually wrote that chorus part it was about maybe three months before we submitted it to publishers so it was almost like a completely different book um, when I did that.
0: I guess I'm just it's really interesting to hear you talk about it I mean I completely understand it in the in the sort of like teen teenage female friendship way that you've outlined Mm and probably, you know, from personal experiences.
1: That's why I love talking about this book, Is like, everyone's like, I remember being a teenage girl. It was really weird. And I was like, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, um, but I know I, it didn't even occur to me for a second that it would, it could be utilized in a horror context, but it does explain the sort of sinister tone of the entire narrative. Like, I, I guess I I didn't, Like, I feel like you did one over on me in a good way. Like, (laughs) Um, I was like, oh, this is, this we is actually quite uh, creepy in in many ways.
1: Yeah, I don't know what it is actually about a chorus that feels so creepy. Like, I guess it's maybe when you do take away, like, an individual's, like, an individual tends to be very insecure, very anxious. And that was definitely what I found with the narration in the beginning. And then when you actually get, like, a group mentality, I guess they're sort of able, you can kind of be more easily led into horror. I think you're like convincing of each other, like everything feels quite unstable and like maybe slightly like less moralistic in a way. It's like your consciousness being shared becomes a bit more blurred, which I think is really interesting Um, and very true. I I was working as a teaching assistant as well when I wrote a lot of this and I was really surrounded by kind of groups of teenage girls and like the politics of those friendships and how like, I would see a lot of like the heartbreak and like the very kind of, like a huge amount of love, but also very sometimes like leaving people out for certain reasons or like, and how heartbroken and how tough like that kind of environment is for girls. So yeah, the we voice also gives a sense of like, we want to be in the we. And when we're not all on the sidelines, you feel like for that loneliness a lot more.
0: I mean, against the backdrop of, backdrop of the chorus narration. You utilize dialogue to reflect to a larger crowd as well outside of the chorus a lot of the time in the prose. So you're know you speaking to the rest of the community in this town. Um, You write out their reactions in a shared incident, um, sort of line by line without delegating who the exact voice is coming from, but based on the the comments, you can kind of assume whomever they're coming from. Um, What about this religious community do you think made you want to write them out as a chorus?
1: Um, I think a lot of that kind of came from like there was a lot of choruses of women that kind of naturally came in so there was like a chorus of mothers there was a chorus of like church women There was probably like a chorus of more of like the stage mothers who come in at one point and I guess I was just really interested in reflecting like group mentalities and gossip and how that's a really kind of easy way to reflect like an external reality as opposed to like an inner reality and It was also just really fun. Like, I liked giving, like, some sassy women, like, some real one-liners who are kind of, like, judging these, like, teens and being like, oh, God, she's so annoying, or, like, she's desperate for attention. And it was kind of a way of, like, externalising their, what they're hearing in their heads, what they're telling themselves, and what they're fighting against. And, again, it just makes it more of a like they're not just fighting against one mother or like a single mother kind of fighting against the world. So like putting in a, a chorus, it's immediately like you're fighting against an audience, um, not just one person. It, it makes it a bit more of a tougher fight, I think. And I really wanted that in there.
0: It speaks a bit to the shape or it speaks a great deal rather to the shape of, of religion though, and, and how hmm. it works and, you know, sort of how these small towns and fundamental religious groups do work where it becomes sort of like this hive mind Mm. and uh quite judgmental and quite and quite heavy-handed so to me it read as a way of commenting on that sort of religious hive-like mind
1: for sure i think as well like i grew up in you know orlando in the 2000s and i think it was kind of a fascinating like very shifting time because i had A huge, like, sort of my group of friends, like, you'd have huge extremes and sort of incredibly conservative, like, some incredibly religious, some sort of born again Christians. Like, there was just a huge amount of like representation that we were kind of being fed into. And I think, as well, that kind of internalization of maybe like a slight sense of shame like being a girl like that religious context of a community does like give you and I think back at that time especially in the 2000s like wasn't a lot of sex education but there was like a huge kind of pressure in the media to like be very sexual and like there wasn't a lot it was just a very confusing time with like a lot of different messages all coming in very strongly and so I was really interested in kind of And also, you not having the understanding to even begin to analyze those things, they're just like appearing at you, which was again, that was kind of in the book. It was like, I'm just gonna make this like a sort of hyper exaggerated representation of like their emotional reality and by putting it outside of them like putting it in the landscape putting it in these women's voices or kind of this sort of tv preacher you know surrounding it was a way of being like obviously this isn't realistic but it is realistic to how they actually felt about those things and what they're being spoken to so that was kind of fun when i realized that i was like i can make their emotional reality external and like there's this george saunders quote that I really love that I talk about quite a lot which is um he says uh, sometimes to represent an emotional truth you have to violate reality so I think by using things like the religion the stage mum stuff it was all a way of sort of let's take every kind of small hint of pressure that they're getting and blow it up to how they really feel that it's being shown to them um so that was also a lot of fun in fiction I think that you can do that
0: is there a way that the the female teenage experience is like a religion in and of itself?
1: Oh, for sure. That's such a good point, I think. I think it's also the way um, that kind of, the way like first love feels. I feel like that often plays out in first friendship. And it can feel so overwhelming in a way that kind of feels like akin to a religious experience. Like I remember being, it felt it kind of feels quite miraculous I would say when you first realize that you know people are there who are going to like understand a version of yourself that feels so different from your parents or maybe the world that they've built for you it feels like discovering kind of a new truth or something like that but I also think within those group dynamics as you say has been like there can be so much pressure within it um that I think, yeah, that could be kind of reflective in a sort of religious, like, hive mind as well. It's like, I think you can be sort of incredibly moralistic, you can be incredibly judgmental as well as being hugely kind of enamored by the world around you and kind of excited by it. So there's always a lot going on at at one time.
0: I guess, I mean, I don't want this to seem repetitive, but sort of what do you think is the thread that interlaces female friendship with both adoration and jealousy. Because, I mean, I think the classic answer is patriarchy, but I almost feel like it's also probably more nuanced than that.
1: Hmm. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I, I guess I understand in, like, yeah, patriarchy sense. But I guess in, like, I don't think I was really aware. I'm obviously probably aware through, like, osmosis <laughs> that these things are pressured on you, but I didn't really care about boys at 13 I I did they were so distant like I feel like I was sort of objectifying boys like you liked a boy almost to tell a story about it to your friends like that's why they were interesting to you was that um yeah they were almost something to like brag about I don't even know I just didn't really feel super kind of connected to them and the ones that I really wanted to impress were probably girls and older girls and it was their judgment that felt so um sort of you wanted to earn it very intensely and I think a lot of that came from being often quite like apathetic like pretending to be quite cool like pretending to need nothing like you know that kind of toughness was like sort of a way to prove like I don't know almost like by not needing love you deserved it like it's a kind of fascinating play with girls that that age, especially these girls in my book, I think what I really love about them is that, you know, they are very insecure. They're very needy. Like the way they're trying to get the love of their friends, get the love of their mothers is very grabby and like confused. And I think in a way like this and often cruel, but in a way that I think like the cruelty is so performative that it's almost becomes funny. And so I think with these girls it's sort of their it comes from like I see them as very like soft-souled people who are not quite formed and I think you know when you feel like that inside you you're never going to be able to maybe approach your friends always being like I love you you're so great there's a bit of that but then the next day it might be like oh you know you actually did that thing that really upset me or like you're kind of a person because you did that it's like the expectations are so astronomical of you being in control of who you are as a person and it's something yeah I feel very like tender towards it I find it very funny and I don't totally understand it but I think I don't know if there is a reason
0: you sort of pinpointed it I think by saying so much of your identity is out of your hands that it's like in what in the ways that you can control it Like I hear everything you're saying, but I guess I'm always interested in this sort of like cliched question of like, why are girls always like bouncing off these extremes of like, and especially teenage girls and young girls and the friendships that we're very talking about where it's like on the one hand, like I would die for you. And on the other hand, I'm gonna do the cruelest thing in the world to you. Um, In a way that I don't see in, I know I'm speaking very gendered, but I don't see this in male friendships. What is it about girls that it so often gets to that point? I
1: guess it's kind of interesting as well. It's like you have these, it's almost like girls' relationships with their mothers as well. It's like with boys, or maybe sometimes this is very general, but like with dads, when they give you love, that tends to be like enough. You're like, oh my God, thank you so much. But with (laughs) mums and friends, you're like, you kind of have these high expectations and maybe it comes from like yourself as well it's like you don't just have to love me you have to be like everything to me <laughs> and it's kind of like I need it to be unconditional I need it to be so fiercely loyal and I think that changes with friendship maybe not with mothers but um I mothers do but it just it, there's something really intense about it and I don't know maybe it comes from a place I always think like that kind of high expectation and maybe like tougher forms of love do come from vulnerability and come from a sort of a fear as well. It's almost like, especially when you're younger, it's like you almost expect to be rejected by boys. I think, I think there's kind of a mistrust Mm -hmm. and there's also kind of an understanding that those relationships are, you know, romanticized and we see enough stories about them to sort of understand that there's like a different narrative to them but female friendships are something that obviously there's a lot of stories and a huge amount of culture about them now but I don't know if like often they're represented in their sort of true mystery I think um and especially when you're young and you're kind of living them I don't think you really understand your feelings for your friends or what you expect from them or why those expectations are so intense and I guess, I think it all, it comes from like, I don't know, I guess not wanting to be lonely and sometimes finding love hard to accept, like needed to be constantly proven to you. And that comes from insecurity and that's very familiar. And I could say maybe this does happen in boyfriendships as well. I just don't, I haven't been as aware of them maybe.
0: Do you think this like thread of, of female friendship? is going to be consistent in in your work overall? Is that something that like you think was specifically came out in the product of this book? Or do you think it's something that will sort of always make an appearance in some form or another?
1: Um yeah, I think so. Actually the book I'm writing now is very I'd sort of written it and I was like, I'm gonna write a love story about how kind of falling in love with a guy for the first time and I was like, it's gonna be super simple and like just about that. And then I was like twenty <laughs> thousand words and I was like, boy <laughs> but I was like and then suddenly this female friend came in they're both 18 and again it's that kind of pressure of a final summer before you leave home and them kind of resenting that they're going to build new lives without each other and kind of I just I love those sort of tensions and I love them because kind of what you say it's like it's adoration and envy and envy is kind of a form of adoration it's like love that's so um intense and kind of expected to be equal that it's just so multifaceted, faceted and can is mean and kind and so many different things so yeah I think it's a theme that I'll always write about because I think it's a very like joyous theme because ultimately like you do still love each other even though you push each other to these um kind of extreme limits of expectation and I think yeah that's just something really beautiful in them that I enjoy writing about.
0: The book is being built in a very obvious way to me and I say this you know as a compliment immediately struck me as similar to a theme does the Virgin Suicides it's got it's got that sort of same sort of like um you know gendered pull and mm-hmm. um, um small town vibe about it um have you read the Virgin Suicides what are your feelings about it if so I mean,
1: I love The Voters of Science.
0: Like, right. this,
1: this comparison kind of kills me. Like, I'm so grateful for it, but I'm also like, oh, that's one of like the best books I think I've ever read. <laughs> so sometimes right. I'm like, oh, did you have to give me that for like the first one out the gate? I was like, give me, a, give me five more years of practice, you know, but um, I really appreciate it. I think kind of interesting though, because I read that book a lot. Um, I kind of read it like every sort of few years. And then I did write it when I was, I read it when I started writing this and funnily I just didn't get the chorus you know I only got the chorus when I read that Marin Enrique story which was funny that I feel like I didn't click that but what I really love about it is the that kind of slightly exaggerated imagery and I loved this kind of the dark underbelly of the suburb and like the tree disease and like that amazing party at the end when they're in the gas mask and the green pool and the green cocktails and the kind of the sleaziness of kind of middle-class aspirational life and then I think in Florida what I find so fascinating is that because you have that suburban life and then the kind of outer like surroundings and atmosphere of Florida is like hurricane you know (laughs) alligator in lake it's so much more extreme than I think it kind of was in the Michigan of virgin suicide but that was kind of starting it and I was like oh, what a gift that I have Florida. So I already have this kind of creepiness of suburbia. And then outside it is this amazing kind of mythical threat of the world that's just constantly reminding you um, just by observing it, that like this world that humans have built is like so destined to fail is almost kind of like silly in the face of like true natural danger. And I love that. It's like the idea that I just find so funny is like, that Orlando will probably be underwater in, like, a hundred or so years, and, like, our response to that is to build Disney there, (laughs) like, on the least stable of land, like, I just think there's something, like, so kind of human, and almost, like, childlike, and kind of slightly insane, but really interesting about it as a place, so yeah, I definitely took that idea of, like, the threat and normalcy from Virgin Suicides, and just the language in that book is, like, amazing and the sense of like the observation and the obsession as well was like very formative
0: I want to talk to you more about Florida but 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 while we're while I'm talking to you about the virgin suicides I do also want to know do you think there are other sister texts to this book for you that come to mind outside of that obvious one um
1: I really love... Um, I read Marilyn Robinson's Housekeeping, like, a lot. And that mm-hmm. was the thing with um, the kind of the dialogue. She does a thing with, like, the aunts talking, where it's just lines of dialogue. And for her by the line, I would read a lot. Um, Joy Williams was a massive one. Uh, Laurie Moore, who will run the Frog Hospital, for kind of teenage girl friendship. That one's, like, a very true one for me. Marin Enrique for horror, I went into. I think a lot of them... There were a lot of books that I would kind of read sort of five pages of before I start writing, um, just to kind of warm me up. But I normally go for books that I love by the sentence, because then I just feel like I can get into the rhythm of the sentence and then I can start writing from them. But yeah, I mean, probably every book I've ever read has had some kind mm-hmm. of sneaky influence in there.
0: Um, Going back to Florida a bit, in what ways does class inform these characters a female experience
1: yeah I think again the sort of amazing thing about Florida is because um a lot of the constructions only happened over kind of the last hundred, hundred fifty 150 years or so and you can really see like representations of class in the landscape in the way you can see anywhere but I guess in London everything's a bit more like meshed because there's so much history here but in Florida it's like kind of side by side you'll have this gated community with like a huge white wall on a guy in like a uniform kind of asking your name when you come in. And then you'll have like an apartment complex that may be a bit more like front down or you have um kind of people living in like motels outside of Disney. And, you know, I think Orlando has it's like one of the highest rents per capita in like the whole of the US. It's really escalating. And so again, it's just one of those kind of the symbolic representations of class everywhere in the landscape. And you just have to, as a writer, you just kind of note them. And it's
0: right. But how does it speak to the the female experience in particular?
1: I think, especially in this one, it's this idea that you want to escape. And the only way you can escape is through having money. And I think they're obsessed with their own constraints. And that was something I really felt like growing up, you know, you have these like, huge long summers and I feel like we would just get into schemes (laughs) like you know you don't have that much you have no money so you have to be really like creative in the ways you entertain yourself so it's like there was a lot of spying like around people um and I had this group of friends who all lived in an apartment complex and I would basically just go and kind of live there and we would just walk to like the vending machine or to Walmart or to the pool and that was a way of kind of you were constantly felt trapped. and so we're constantly planning these kind of absurdist escapes. And I think a big part of that was kind of in the book, they auditioned for a stage, or they kind of want to audition for like this stage school life or they dream of being discovered. And I think that was a dream that was very much held by girls (laughs) at that age, I think, because it was just this idea that you could be like plucked out from a normal life into a beautiful one just by someone kind of choosing you. And I think it was that kind of time, 13, I think, was a time when we all still lived in fantasy a little bit like there was this idea that class wouldn't really affect you like you could still get out of it somehow by believing in your own kind of exceptionality and I think there's a beauty to that I think there's a tragedy to that because you know as they get older they're going to kind of realize like life's not going to get easier um and I think that's something I've always found very like beautiful is like sort of ambition in the face of like real struggle and like I don't know there's something I guess it goes back to kind of religious belief and everything it's this kind of believing in something like more beautiful and possible like the American dream and then the sadness of that kind of being harder than you hoped it would be um so that's kind of yeah I think all those experiences are linked
0: What interests you about a character like Sammy who is radicalized against religion and the church um, while being a preacher's daughter?
1: Yeah, I think she kind of represents to me a pure kind of rebellion that they could really look up to. And also like a bit more of a, a mystery and kind of another way to like be beautiful in a way like I think they're sort of fascinated by her and don't necessarily understand where their sort of fascination comes from I also think like there's kind of a maternal way that they look at her like they try and protect her as one of their own and I think there was I wanted to show that as a kind of sweetness as well in it um that these girls like you know they are sort of tough but they're also like really driven by love and quite like an insane exaggerated way and so I think with Sammy I just I liked writing about love as well that their love isn't yet like on a specific object like they love Sammy as much as they love Eddie and they love me and they love each other it's kind of it's all sort of dispelled and like a bit confusing where I think it becomes a bit more streamlined as you get older so That was kind of nice of me to scatter out
0: these crushes for them. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry to like, you know, hammer this point in, but for me, it's also just like a personal... Mm -hmm. interest and fascination on my part. So uh, again, bringing it back to the ways in which this book is quite gendered, or can be read that way. uh, You know, there's a lot of thinking through what these little girls learn from seeing the older men in their lives, as well as the women. But when it comes to the older men, they learn a lot about the, you know, what the community and church teaches them about these dynamics. Um, Brittany says at one point, now I think that to humiliate a woman is the only way some men know how to love one. Mm -hmm. What is being observed here about masculinity?
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. I'm trying to think of that exact bit of when when she says that. So I remember I was very happy with that line. So okay, yeah. <laughs> and I remember I worked over it a lot. Yeah, I think this was quite interesting to me. I felt like there was a way as you get into sort of maybe like older first relationships that they're having and kind of realizing this because there's a lot when they're kids as well I think even the way they sort of idolize these girls but don't really get to know them like everyone's kind of kept at a distance like Eddie they love because he's beautiful it's all very like simplified and I think those are tropes that they've picked up on from the world around them and at one point um like, when Layla uh, kisses Mia in the parking lot, that was kind of my idea. Like, these girls are just imitating, like, movies. <laughs> you know, like, this is the only way they know sort of how to be kind of, again, very exaggerated form, but, like, how to be sort of romantic or how to, like, show loyalty. It's all sort of, like, confused by them, kind of what these acts, like, mean or could mean to them, which I just find kind of interesting to think about. Anyway, so I think with this, like the idea of humiliation is like the idea of sort of like he's taking a part of her that she's shown when she's vulnerable and he made it into a performance and like probably like unwittingly knowing how like it's almost like what you give to someone is then used by them Mm, and I think mm -hmm. that to me felt like it's kind of that classic like not Communicate, not understanding, not understanding like what a woman could give you it could be private or secret or protected. It was like, oh, that's something to be kind of used or that talked about, or you know. And it's just kind of obviously for Brittany, she's like, that's I hate that. So I just, yeah, I, I really love when you do get a line in your head. I was obviously feeling pretty like. I don't know. I was being quite proud of myself. I love when you can say something in like the minimum amount of words, like using quite simple words. And I was like, oh, there's like something, some truth in that.
0: Another one, another line. And I'm sorry, again, I, I'm forgetting the context. But Hazel muses at some point, if I've learned anything, it's that even movement becomes another kind of stillness if you force it to last too long. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on what she means here?
1: Yeah, that one I feel is something I've really learned, like as I've got older. and probably really kind of struggling through the writing of this book and I wrote a lot of it during um the COVID lockdown when I'd been like Lego, I was working in a restaurant so I couldn't waitress obviously during that time then I started working in schools afterwards and I think I always had this kind of probably what the girls have when they're younger this kind of desperation to escape this idea like oh if I can just live my life over there if only I could go and do this I'll be happy and it was always kind of in a different place and constantly moving or constantly changing jobs and sort of always fighting for change and never being satisfied. And I think what Hazel says in that is probably something that I've learned, which is like, if even if if you keep running, you're kind of staying still, (laughs) like you're doing, you're doing the same thing over and over. You're just repeating and kind of there's a, actually by stopping, that's the real change that you could make. Um, So that was just felt and I felt like because she's kind of running home after this relationship and they're still sort of like I wanted them to be constantly in transit in that story they're sort of running and running and running and then I think at the end there's a moment of real kind of reckoning and it was that sort of thing that I wanted there to be like a release in that for them like they're finally still they're looking in the face they're kind of accepting something.
0: This book to me reads mostly about trauma um, and the ways childhood informs adulthood. Do you think trauma is another way of referring to shocked wisdom? Like, like the jolt of shot that leads to wisdom?
1: Hmm. I guess in a way, like, writing this book was a way of me kind of representing trauma in a way that was, again, very sort of exaggerated and unrealistic but it was a way of representing like emotional reality like I think if you actually represent trauma realistically it would be a lot more kind of slower and more painful I would imagine and a lot more and I was very conscious that I sort of didn't want to do that I was like I'm gonna make this sort of very explosive and make it quite representative of the kind of the feeling of it instead of trying to go through any kind of like detail or I guess sort of almost like philosophy like what it actually like means I was like this is just going to be exactly how this feels and kind of try and get that anger and that sort of like because you feel like I guess the whole thing with trauma is someone's kind of forcing you into a situation that you don't want to be in and I was like I'm going to, instead of kind of detailing that, which is how the world actually works, and I think how these systems do work to constrict you, I was like, I'm going to use fiction to write like an explosive version of this, which is like, if you feeling about it actually won out, this is how it would be represented. This would be the explosion. This would be the fire burning. This would be the fight. And so that was kind of, that felt sort of, good for me in a way when I was really like conscious of trying to write about like dark things and also just the girls being sort of defined in certain ways kind of what you talk about with like structure or beauty or class you know if I wrote that realistically I think they'd be a lot more kind of it would be more of a sort of tragedy which it is but I think because I was able to go into the sort of surreal elements of that it was a way of me kind of representing like this is how like it actually feels to be so angry about this kind of injustice happening to them so I was like let's explode it and that's the fun thing as a writer when you're sitting on your own on your laptop like feeling upset and you're like I'm just gonna go wild here um but yeah
0: (laughs) Well, thank you, Diz. Those are all my questions. Well, thank you so much. Thank you.